Hi everyone, this is Mike Taylor, co-host of A Positive Jam. Today, Daniel and I are talking about certain songs. Track 5 on the Hold Steady's 2004 debut album, The Hold Steady Almost Killed Me. Here's what you need to know about certain songs. It's slower, it's moodier, and it's driven by Franz Nikolai's piano playing instead of the classic rock instrumentation we've seen so far on the album. This raises the question, where do these schmaltzy singer-songwriter ballads fit in the Hold Steady's catalog when so much of the band's greatness comes from snarling guitars and lyrics that tell ugly truths? I was skeptical at first, but Daniel eventually convinced me that it all fits together and he did this by making, weirdly enough, a reference to the early 2000s TV mega hit, The O.C. Don't we all know what it's like to listen to Seeger? A show that otherwise means absolutely nothing to me. We really came around on this song through the discussion, and I think there's a lot to pick apart here, so I hope you enjoy the show. Let's go. Certain songs, we slow it down for the first time. For real, slow it down for the first time. Daniel, how does this fit into your mixtape taxonomy structure? This, I think, is less mixtape and more, if you think of a classic vinyl, five tracks on each side with this as the end of side one. It's well sequenced, I think. We talked about last time, it comes in nicely from the guitar solo that cuts off and most people are DJs. When you listen to it without having to flip it over, I think the way the song kind of ends with a little bit more force sets up Knuckles quite nicely. So as far as the sequencing, I think it's well done. And I think this is cl- the clearest sort of breath for air. It's we're not just going to assault you with hard rock bangers. We're going to actually show our softer side. The softer side of Craig Finn and the Hold Steady. Yeah, I think because I first had this album on an iPod, I actually wasn't sure whether it was the last song on the album or not, because I would just play everything on shuffle so much. So I knew Killer Parties and this one sounded like last songs, but I was surprised going through this to actually realize that it's in the middle of the album. But I think you're right. It's an interlude song. I'm also reminded of the guitar player from white zombie i think his name is jay younger he gave a q a in guitar player magazine a long time ago and one quote stuck with me because it was coming from someone who's in like such a heavy band he said you got to do two or three songs in a row that rock really hard but it doesn't matter how hard your band is you have to slow it down at some point for one or two songs so that the contrast is still there And I think that this is like a perfect example of a band very clearly doing that. I think that's like a well-worn technique and it happens in the middle of albums a lot. But I think that this is just, maybe it's it's pretty extreme because you just go down to piano and singing and then build slowly back up. This is also, Daniel, the first song in... One of many throughout Hold Steady's oeuvre, but 
the only one on this album, I think, that's got a woman as the main character. So I thought we would take a stab at talking about women in the Hold Steady's music and Craig Finn's sort of positioning or the positioning at least of the person who's speaking in these lyrics, Craig Finn's persona maybe in the music. And I'll kick it off. Lifter Puller is pretty clearly, I would go so far as, I've put Lifter Puller lyrics as away messages in Gchat and had women <laughs> message me being like, that's a pretty misogynistic passage, Mike. That's pretty gross or maybe try something different. There's a lot of girls, women taking off their tights in the back seats of cars. There's a lot of stains on women's tights in Lifter Puller's lyrics. He's sort of at best disappointed with women, I think, in that album sort of wistfully like I wish you weren't behaving this way and it gets worse from there there's one song where the main character of the song is <laughs> participates in a group beating of a woman it's not like that it's not as far as that in almost killed me but I think there is a kind of carryover of catholic ambivalence about women being in love with them but also being sort of thrown off by them or alarmed if they're doing things that are too risky or adventurous and i think that comes through a little bit in this song i was thinking about this when we did barfruit blues a little bit just a general topic here i think the hard thing to know is whether I, I haven't done a full textual analysis of Craig Finn's lyrics to put everything in context, but whether this is just the milieu within which he is writing and the guys come out as old school toughs and the girls come across as, say, tough broads or whatever, maybe that's so it's, it goes both ways. I guess that's the, the question. I, it's interesting because I, it wasn't necessarily on my radar for this song. And so I'd love to hear more from you as far as how you're thinking of it with barfruit blues you know we mentioned the goes down <laughs> like a chicken strip most people are djs i think it's also sort of weird talking chick who can't understand in that case it's it's actually not the stereotype that he uses a lot but it is it's sort of the girls are either on the risque side or i don't know how many madonnas there are in the hold steady but if you take the horror or Madonna cliche, and then also throw in the nag cliche. And that seems to cover <laughs> a lot of the characters that show up. So how did you, what made you think about it with this song? I mean, I know there's the verse, but what, what did you have in mind with this song? Well, I think it focuses in on this character, whoever it is who, who's picking the songs on the jukebox is this woman who we know she does drugs. We know that she's beautiful. It's sort of likely that she's hallelujah, I think, although she's not mentioned by name. I think just because this is a portrayal that's a little bit more, spends a little more time, it's not like a throwaway, like went down with a chick, went down like a chicken strip or is a weird talking chick. We actually get, it's like, 
clear that he's inhabiting her psyche and is interested in who she is and what she wants and how other people see her in a way that repeats a few times, I think, in the Hold Steady's work, but is pretty striking here, especially when we're coming from songs like Barfruit Blues and Most People Are DJs, where it's primarily a sort of conflict relationship. I just like that there's a bit of a focal shift in this song, and I think it's a sympathetic portrayal. She's selecting the song. She she knows she's not like the weird talking chick. I don't want to get too like literary about it, but she she does at least something. She influences the people in the bar, gets them singing along. I think that she's a little bit more of a hero of this song versus what we've seen so far. So I think that's why she's an actor. She's acting an agent, I guess. She's a strong character maybe to use that kind of woke cinema criticism she's got some yeah she's she takes action she's got her own independent motivations and the narrator is not really passing any kind of judgment or expressing any kind of concern about her one way or another in that way she's sort of treated like the male characters are often treated i think i think that that's sort of close to the best case we get a little bit And there there are repetitions. I think when Hallelujah becomes more of a recurring character, we get a little bit more of that. And on Curves and Nerves, the bonus tracks of this album, we again focus in at the beginning on that song on a person who's kind of strung out and in a tough spot, smoking a lot of cigarettes, drinking a lot of beers. I think that that's kind of the main trope. And I think maybe that's what you were getting at before with tough guys and tough broads is like, I probably have been too literal in my sort of adoption of hold studies, Craig Finn's lyrics and my interpretation of them. There's a strong chance that it's just kind of like, you know, these albums are like noir films. And so it's just, the trope is just that they're like femme fatales and dames and broads and, we see them through these tough guys' lenses, and so that's just kind of how they're portrayed as a consequence. It's not really a function of how anyone or how Craig Finn sort of feels about women in general. Well, and this is also an era, I think woke isn't a term yet. You know, when we're in col- we were in college, obviously this is gonna, it's gonna be hard to say this without sounding like idiots. Of course, feminism was a common philosophy it's but it wasn't there was still space for an artist to be less thoughtful about this and not be criticized for that in and of itself they might be criticized for having flat characters or whatever but there was less reading per se of representation and does everything match somebody's politics does everything flesh out fully and so you know and i think to your point Hallelujah, of course, Holly, who is the main character of Separation Sunday, the next album, even though she goes through some tough times, she seems to have a pretty heroic and affirmative trajectory in that album. So I do think, I do, you know, I I think. You think Jesus's trajectory is a pretty good trajectory? I think so. 
I mean, hey, it's not for me to judge, you know, I'm just, I, I studied the book, but I'm not exactly an expert here, but no, but you know, if you're able to tell the congregation how a resurrection really feels, that's, you've got some agency, I would say. And so, yeah, I, I, it's, it's this song. I think you're fair to say that this is a fuller representation rather than the one-off lines, which by the way, could be coming from the clever kid type. The clever kid. I mean, because you know, clever kids were also not exactly well-rounded with how they thought about women. Yeah. So that's uh. Yeah, and just when we started researching this, we looked at the charts, and I think to your point about the sort of historical context, like Eminem and Fifty Cent were at the top of the charts at the time. The Dixie Chicks were charting high, but it was sort of their peak before their conflict with Toby Keith sort of torpedoed their career and sort of an explosion of misogyny. And we didn't have, I think people were critical of Eminem and were critical of misogyny in culture, but I don't think that their voices got through in the same way that they do today. Like, I think people had negative opinions about that work but I don't think we were having the same sort of no. It's still the biggest all-encompassing, dis- yeah, all-encompassing discussion about it, and there were ways to sort of hand wave it away in a way that I think is less accepted today. She goes low on her seats when she gets high in her car. But she's neck deep in the steamy dreams of the guys along the harbor bars. A positive jam is brought to you by Retro Gear Shop. Retro Gear Shop sells a bunch of great, cutting edge, and classic musical gear from synths to mics, preamps to guitar pedals, and more. For example, they sell the Earthquaker Devices Organizer and the Earthquaker Devices Dispatch Master. You know who uses the organizer? Hold steady guitarist Tad Kubler, according to MusicRadar.com. You know who uses the Dispatch Master? Hold steady lead singer Craig Finn, according to the same MusicRadar.com. Want to check them out? Go to RetroGearShop.com and check out the Effects and Amps page. And if you buy something and use the discount code APJ10, that's as in A positive jam 10 you'll get 10 percent off your purchase on eligible items check it out at retrogearshop.com r-e-t-r-o-g-e-a-r-s-h-o-p.com retro the other thing you said about the noir and i look at the album cover for almost killed me which is all these people partying, whether they're at a table, whether they're at a club, they've got a black strip over their eyes. It's mostly dudes, but it does feel, and it's, you know, in the interviews that Craig gave at the time, he made clear that he wasn't partying hard, that he was an observer, but yeah, there is that feeling of actually to use another modern paradigm of representation and of appropriation, cultural appropriation. It's almost like Craig is inserting himself into a drug scene that maybe 
unclear whether it was a part of or not. It's still, I think, a fascinating representation. This is even more on a left or polar than here, but I also think that's another way to kind of think through it. Whether or not that's interesting, I, that's how I sort of get at it. Yeah. One thing, uh, you bringing up the cover of the album is apt, I think, in the sense that these are people being photographed doing things that they'd rather not be identified doing. And I think that that's definitely a motif that runs through the whole Almost Killed Me album is that it's about doing things that you're not supposed to do, doing drugs and partying hard and, and finding this your own limits for what is acceptable and not and how you navigate those choices. One of the cool things about certain songs is that it sort of alludes to the sort of longer term of things. Certain songs get scratched into our souls is that some of this stuff is going to last, is going to be with you forever. Some of these experiences are going to be with you forever. Yeah, I like that. I think there's also something, as in so much of holds, the whole study, there's a bit of meta, but it's sort of like how when a band or release or a pop act will release a song, then say, this is going to be your song of the summer or whatever. And it's sort of this wink. And here it's this wink of, first of all, the idea of certain songs will get scratched in your soul. You'll be stuck with this song potentially as one of the songs that gets scratched in your soul. And I think it does scratch pretty. It's not my favorite song in the record, but I think it does stick with you pretty good. But then there's also the bits of mentioning and the meatloaf to the Billy Joel, the mentioning only the good die young and paradise by the dashboard light, both a Billy Joel and a meatloaf song. And the meatloaf to the Billy Joel. Certain songs, they get so scratched into us. Yeah, let's bounce off that into the music because musically this is so different from the other songs on the album. And it's our first foray into the Springsteen, Billy Joel, Meatloaf would fit in this too rubric of songwriting where it's more schmaltzy, more piano heavy, more... I don't know what you would call, I'd, I'm not sure exactly how you'd call it, but it's, it's a com- different mode. It's, ba- it's a ballad, I guess. It's a ballad. It's in a different mode from hard rock. It's hard rock adjacent and maybe a required counterpoint for the stronger, more rocking songs. But it's the beginning of a long journey for Craig Finn towards this kind of singer-songwriter template. How, what are your thoughts? I have mixed feelings about this approach to songs and how it fits in what the whole study is trying to do. In terms of their general, as far as how it fits into the album as a whole, or as far as it fits into just... We'll start with the album as a whole, and then maybe in general. So I always, when I listened to this album when it first came out, songs, I've probably already said this, one to seven and ten were the ones that stuck out for me. We'll get to eight and nine, obviously, but... This was potentially going to be the one that loses the momentum, but somehow it creates space and it doesn't. It flows nicely between the tracks, as we've already said. I don't mind it. It is definitely pushing the Billy Joel side of the spectrum to 11. I think to your point, there's less of a persona here or a fronting here. It's a little bit more laid back and open 
as far as the lyrics and as far as the the narrator feels less distant from us than in some of the other songs. He feels like he's not pointing fingers. He's not teasing yeah. anybody. So do you think that's only possible if the music is sort of slowed down and there's a little bit more emoting going on with the piano vamping in the background and stuff like that? Do you think it's kind of a requirement to achieve that intimacy? That's a good question. Maybe it is for the whole study. I'm not sure. Well, because let's you you know, let's think I know their first three albums best, and you think about you don't like this song, but Citrus is also a song where they really I think is the other song they really tone it down and it's an acoustic guitar, but that's where they're trying to give this really sort of heartfelt message. Yeah, I think there's something to say for that. I think Stevie Nicks, which you were calling before the podcast one of your favorite songs from the Hold Steady, I think there they do it in the bridge where they really drop the piano and deliver the key lines of the song. So yeah, I think there's something to be, I think there's something to be said for that, but also the whole study is pretty good at delivering a punch and a heartfelt lyric. Even again, I go back to bar fruit blues and that line, speaking of women characters where she said, I'm sorry, people think I'm pretty. That to me felt as much of dropping the veil and delivering something valuable as anywhere else. So. Fair, fair. I guess I just, I, I don't really, I don't get Billy Joel or like it that much. And I don't, so I, I sort of, for me, it doesn't really have a role to play in influencing artists that I want to listen to. And maybe that's harsh. And maybe I just have not given him enough of a chance. But I think he's more or less overtly this kind of selling out to generate a response or to be as catchy as possible i feel like billy joel songs kind of like aim at one particular spot in your brain and then just like drill into that spot relentlessly and so the songs can come across as kind of one-dimensional and so i'm not quite not to be too harsh but it's like you're doing so well resurrecting this aspect of hard rock and rock music and now we're in this do we need to go back and experience billy joel you don't like 80s music you don't like the kind of excess of that but for some reason some of these excessive 70s performers are still resonant for some reason let me ask you about a contemporaneous pop culture phenomenon i want to hear your thoughts around the same time as the whole study we have the oc on fox did you watch the oc my room, my roommate was the hugest fan of the OC. <laughs> and in fact, some of my closest friends watched it like appointment viewing every Sunday. I couldn't help but see some episodes. And I thought that I thought that all the characters on the show and the actors were very attractive people. And so that was interesting to me. But I was not moved by the show or didn't follow it closely. Why do you, why do you bring this up though? I feel like this is a trap somehow. It's not a trap, but so I, I, for some reason, the advertising around it, it got me hooked that first summer it came out. And then when the season continued, et cetera. So I did watch a season or two before it got, I mean, it kind of played, it burned through its cards quickly, but I always remember this a scene between the two, two of the three main young male characters where one of them is used to be the cool, the bad guy, essentially, 
but has already become the goofy guy and is now like really the sad, depressed guy who might harm himself. And the main character is calling him and the guy's drinking and he's in his truck. And he goes, Luke, what are you doing? He said, you know, man, drinking some buds, smoking, listening to Seeger. You know how it is. Oh. The main character says, no, man, I don't. Marissa, hey, um, Marissa. No, no, it's me, man. I'm fine, man. You don't sound fine. I know, I'm just having a few beers up at the park, rocking out to Seeger. You know the drill. Not really. Don't we all know what it's like to listen to Seeger? Don't we know? Like, yeah, don't, yeah. Don't we all know what it's like to listen to Billy Joel? Even What a defense. Even if you're not like serious about listening to Billy Joel. I have a few Billy Joel records. I, I put it on sometimes. It's entertaining. It's something that I can put on loudly and my wife doesn't care and so it's something that gets a little more prominence because of that but it's evocative of that feeling and this is a song lest we forget that begins with guess you're old enough to know kids yep. out on the east coast roughly 20 years old got coaxed out by a certain perfect ratio this is going back to those times where you're in high school you're in college you're starting to smoke you're starting to go to bars you're visiting new parts of the country you're coaxed out. We can talk about it more, but whenever I think of certain perfect ratio as a guy, I'm thinking about the ratio of men to women. And that's all I hear there for better or worse. And so it's and some I other think, ones. Sure. But it's, it's evocative <laughs> to me of, um, it's evocative to me of that. And so that's where I don't mind it. I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't want an album of ballads from the whole study, but I think it does slide in nicely for doing that and then obviously you're playing you're going through the jukebox i mean yeah you just made the point i mean it's the certain songs get scratched into your souls seeger that guy's listening to seeger because he's in a tailspin and these songs are what you're saying is like perfect to that message it's not even necessarily that the songs are the songs that you think are the greatest they're the songs that are just with you the most that are part of you because you've gone through your life with them. So I think it was an excellent point. Thank you. Yeah. It's changing my mind almost about how I feel about the, what I view as the more cheesy influences on the whole study. Well, and we'll say, I think the Springsteen element we'll get into on hostile Massachusetts. And I think that's an interesting one. That's actually, because I, the whole study never fully indulged this Billy Joel aspect. I mean, even you could argue it's there a little bit in like Chicago scene tired last night. There's a little bit of that of the only the good die young feel to that, but that's a ripping song. And that's, you know, that's one of my favorites on that album. I don't think they ever, at least on those first three albums. And then I kind of, and not, I don't think they do it on the fourth, which I have as well. They don't, they don't really indulge this. And so they can get away with doing it on their first album and it doesn't go over the top. Yeah. Fair enough. The only other thing I want to slip in, speaking of Separation Sunday, is I will always, I love a good band that self-references intertextuality and all, and they drop the line, and the hard drugs are for the bartenders and the kitchen workers and the bartenders' friends. But that recurs in Cattle and the Creeping Things on Separation Sunday. So again, good, good job. Dropping the seed for later, so I don't mind. I, I it's not my favorite song, but I think it it's a workman like song. It's a yeoman yeoman's effort here. I was astonished re-listening to it how much I appreciate it. 
I like when the guitar comes in hard. I think it's easy to ignore because of how active you have to be on some of the other songs on the album and listening, and this one can kind of float by. But I think lyrically, it's really strong. It's fun with all the different references. And I think that the message, I guess you're old enough to know, is like a really sweetly wistful kind of line. So I think it's, I do think it's beautiful despite my reservations about the music DNA. All right, thanks to Daniel. And thanks, of course, to the Hold Steady. Thanks even to the OC. And most improbably, thanks to Billy Joel. I think I understand you much better now, Billy. So, but no hard feelings, I hope. As a disclaimer, all song clips belong to their creators. If you like this episode, please subscribe wherever you want and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help support us. Listen, next week we're talking about Knuckles, probably the funniest track on the album with arguably the biggest scope outside of Positive Jam. Knuckles is one of my favorites and I'm really fired up to talk about it. To get in touch with us, DM us at, at Shortman Studios on Twitter or email us at mail at shortmanstudios.com. This has been a Shortman Studios production. I am Mike Taylor, and this is a positive jingle. So scratched